Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of wacky politics. And I'm not talking about America. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And I'm glad you said you're not talking about America. That might have been unclear to people. <laughs> but today we're talking about the 2020 Tokyo gubernatorial election, which took place on July 5th. Featuring 22 candidates. Yep. And first of all, I can't take any word seriously that starts with a goober. That's a silly word. <laughs> it's a goober. <laughs> why, why gubernatorial? I don't know. It's silly. But a gubernatorial election is an election for the seat of governor. So we're talking about the election for the governor of Tokyo Prefecture. Mm -hmm. And this is a really important position in Japan because, of course, Tokyo Prefecture is by far the most populous prefecture in Japan. It's got tons of people. It's the home of the capital of Japan. And Tokyo has been called the world's largest metro economy. Tokyo consistently ranks among the top three cities in global surveys that measure power, innovation, and competitiveness. So this is like an important place. Tokyo's got it all. Yeah. So the seat of governor is a serious position that can even influence things on the national level. Absolutely. Also, before we get too deep in here, I want to say that this episode was requested by our fan Melissa from Italy. Thank you, Melissa. Yes. Love the request. Love always getting the comments. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. This is a fun episode to research. More bizarre than I expected, even. <laughs> and we'd heard about this election, and we'd even talked briefly about it, but I never really thought that hard about doing an episode about it until mm -hmm. it was suggested. Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad now that we're doing it. Me too. This topic might not seem as travel or sightseeing focused as most of our episodes, but I think, you know, learning about this kind of stuff can provide some cultural context that can really enrich your experience if you decide to take a trip to Japan. Absolutely. And some of these candidates, as you'll see, have strong opinions about foreigners. Yeah. Which could possibly affect tourism in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, politics might not seem like that interesting of a topic at first glance. And frankly, as an American, I'm totally sick of hearing about politics. But trust me, this is going to be an interesting episode, even if you hate politics. Because things got super weird in this election. <laughs> yep. Did I mention yet that I saw it described as a circus by the media? Yes. Some candidates view it more as a marketing opportunity than a serious political campaign. Yeah. And some of these candidates are just, they're pretty out there. So let's talk a little bit about how this selection works, like why it was kind of allowed to get so weird. So the governor is directly elected for a four-year term. That means it's just normal citizens voting. There's nothing like an electoral college or anything, no representatives voting for people. It's just people voting directly for the candidates. And the reason things got weird this year is because pretty much anyone can become a candidate. So what does one need to become a candidate for governor? It's pretty simple. You need to be Japanese, you need to be at least 30 years old, and you have to pay a deposit of 3 million yen, which is just around 28,000 US dollars. I can meet one of those requirements, so I can't join the fund. That's too bad. And if you get more than 10% of the votes, you get that deposit back too. Okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But you might be asking, why would anyone spend 3 million yen to enter the race 
if they know they have zero chance of even getting 10% of the votes. It's a lot of money just to see your name on a ballot. Yeah. But you get a lot more than that. So every candidate in the election gets several minutes to broadcast whatever message they want on the national broadcast station, which is the NHK. That gets broadcast out to every home in Tokyo. They also get prime locations on nearly every street corner to put up their poster with whatever message they want on it for two weeks. Every candidate gets these things equally. So it's a really great marketing opportunity, perhaps, for some people. Get Mm -hmm. their name and message out there. Or even if you have no chance of winning, if there's one issue you really care about, you can run your whole campaign on that issue just to try to force that issue into the limelight a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so what ends up happening is a lot of candidates are just there for attention, like purely just to get attention for themselves or for their cause or whatever. Maybe they just want more followers on Instagram. So there were 22 candidates, as I believe Paul mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And we don't have time to go in-depth on every single one, but we're going to talk about some of the more notable personalities. Yeah, there's like maybe seven. I didn't count. Around seven, I want to talk about. I don't remember how many I have in my notes, but <laughs> there are some interesting people. Yes, for sure. But before we get to that, let's talk briefly about how the government in Japan is structured, just to give you an idea of how this is all set up. Japan has a constitutional monarchy, which means they do have an emperor. But his power is limited, and he primarily just has ceremonial duties. I think we've mentioned that a bunch of times on the podcast before. He's a symbolic figurehead. Constitutional monarchies always make me wonder a little bit. Because it's always like, oh, figurehead, they have no power. But then it's kind of like, well, why are they there? (laughs) But really, I think they do have some power if they chose to use it in most of these systems. But they've been smart enough in recent history to not get involved. So the United Kingdom has a constitutional monarchy, right? They got the right. royal family. And I believe the royal family can like, kind of express their opinion on political ideas. They can. They don't too often, or most of them, I think. I think I saw, though, that in Japan, the emperor like, isn't allowed to say anything about politics, really. They don't. They definitely don't. I don't know what's allowed and what's not. It's Mm. become tradition lately, at least. Since the new constitution in 1947, it's when that passed. Yeah, so there's another thing to know is the government runs according to the Constitution of Japan, which was adopted in 1947 and was drafted under the supervision of the Allied forces after World War II. (laughs) That's an interesting way to put it. Your constitution was drafted under the supervision of the army occupying your land. Uh, That's what I read. (laughs) How else would you phrase it? No, I mean, that's, I guess that's how it is. Yeah. Also, Japan's been super successful since then in a lot of ways. Yeah, but there are a lot of people now that are pushing to change that constitution. At least parts of it, yeah. Yeah. But Paul, did you know that that is actually the oldest unamended constitution in the world? I didn't. I didn't know they've not amended it at all. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so at the national level, the government is divided into three branches. Much like the U.S., we have the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch. 
In the executive branch, you have the prime minister who appoints ministers of state, and they are collectively known as the cabinet. In the legislative branch, you have the national diet, which is what designates the prime minister, and that consists of two houses. The upper house is the House of Counselors, and the lower house is the House of Representatives. Yeah. So if you're American, the national diet in Japan is pretty much equivalent to Congress in the United States. You can tell that we had a little bit of influence, maybe, setting up this constitution. Yeah. Although there are differences. The prime minister is a big difference. Yeah. Being elected by the diet rather than by public election is much different than the presidency in the United States, Yeah, which we won't talk about at all on this podcast. Uh, We're skipping that. Yeah, don't want don't to <laughs> talk about that. Anyways, back to Japan. Uh, so the judicial branch is the third one, which is made up of the Supreme Court and all of the other inferior courts. So here's an interesting note about the emperor. One of the emperor's functions in the government is appointing the prime minister and the chief justice, or maybe not appointing, but once they're selected, there's some sort of ceremony where the emperor like fully gives them the power. Yeah. Like you are now the prime minister. And I get that it's like a ceremonial thing, but that's the point where I'm like, well, what if the emperor was just like, you know what? I don't like this guy and I'm not going to do it. What would happen? <laughs> So I cannot imagine that happening, especially right, in Japan. But it, but it could, right? I guess. And so you say he has no political power, but is that really true? I don't know. Who knows, right? I'm, I'm not an expert, but that's the stuff I wonder about. Yeah. Okay, so that's the national level. The country is also divided into 47 administrative divisions known as prefectures. And I've said before, you could sort of think of these as states, and they're much smaller than... American states, but, you know, similar sort of political division. And each prefectural government is led by a governor. So that's what we're talking about in this episode, the governor of Tokyo Prefecture. Right. And we say there's 47 of these, and that's true, but a ridiculous amount of the populations in the Tokyo Prefecture. Right. So it's a much more significant post than any of the other governorships. Yeah. Tokyo... It's a special case. You know, there are a lot of ways that the government in Tokyo is a little different from the rest of the prefectures in Japan, which, I mean, just makes sense given how many people live there. Yeah. But we could spend an hour getting into all the nuances of how that's set up, and we won't. Yeah. (laughs) But within each prefecture, you got cities, towns, and villages. Each of those have their own municipal governments. And big cities with populations of at least 500,000 people may be divided further into wards. And, you know, Tokyo is divided into 23 wards, but they're a special type that's unique to Tokyo. But basically, that's how things are set up. All right, now it's time for the fun to begin. Let's start talking about the candidates. Yeah. So I was thinking we'd start with the most popular candidates, the ones that got the most votes. And kind of work our way down. Yeah. And we keep saying, you know, it's crazy. It's wild. uh, It's a circus. Some of these candidates are really boring, which is like totally politics, right? Yeah. But then there's the ones that are wild and we'll see. It's all over the place. Yeah. I mean, the craziest ones, of course, got the least votes, but maybe not the least amount of attention. (laughs) Yeah. 
So I think it makes sense to start with the incumbent. Definitely. So Yuriko Koike was the governor of Tokyo, and she ran for re-election in this campaign. Mm-hmm. She's 67. She's the first woman to be governor of Tokyo. She's a native of Hyogo Prefecture and was a former newscaster. Yep. She won with 59.7% of the votes, which yeah. is pretty major when you got 22 candidates. Wasn't even close. No one really thought it would be close. Mm-hmm. She was pretty much expected to win. Yep. And the number of votes that she got was actually the second largest in the history of Tokyo gubernatorial elections. 22 candidates and you get about 60% of the vote. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So she is a conservative nationalist and was secretary general of the Diet Members Committee of Nippon Kaigi, which is the country's biggest right-wing organization. But she actually ran as independent in this race. Yep. Uh, She graduated from Cairo University and speaks English and Arabic. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I can't imagine that that's very common in Japan to be able to speak Arabic. So she's credited with quick measures amid the coronavirus outbreak to help the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, two of the big issues in this race was coronavirus, of course, and what impact that would have on the Olympics. Yes. She's also very good at playing the media game. She gets a ton of media attention. The media really seems to like like her and be on her side in a way. I got that impression too. She was very visible and it sounded to me like she was just good at doing the politician thing, like having answers to all the questions, even if, you know, they aren't necessarily the greatest answers. They're just like what politicians are expected to say, you know? Yeah. So I guess maybe that leads into some criticism of her. She's been criticized as a conservative with a lot to say but not a lot to show for it. Like much talking, little doing. That's could be said, I think, about a lot of politicians. Yeah. She had seven big promises in the 2016 election. And yeah, a lot of the criticism is she hasn't made a lot of progress on those. But there were a couple that she has delivered on that sounded pretty good. I think uh, her opponents are a little bit unfair. I think she ran something on like the seven zeros. Right. where she was going to try to like completely eliminate these seven problems. Mm-hmm. And in four years, there's a few of them that she's made really good progress on, but hasn't completely eliminated. And her opponents say she didn't keep any of her promises. Yeah. Which isn't, it's maybe technically true, but it's, it's not really true. She did manage to reduce the number of children on waiting lists for admission to daycare by over 70%. Right. Didn't get it to zero, but that's a huge win. Yeah. That's a really good thing. Yeah. She did get one zero. Oh, yeah? The number of euthanized domestic animals in animal shelters operated by the government was brought to zero. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Speaking of animals, she got some heat for her handling of the relocation of the biggest fish market in the world, which was, where was it when you went, Jason? Tsukiji Fish Market is what it used to be known as. Okay. And now it's in Toyosu. Yeah. I don't think it moved that far, but it moved to like a different part of the city. Just a different part of the bay. Yeah. yeah. And they had their reasons for doing it. And some people like it, some people don't, but she's taking a lot of heat for that. I hear the fish market's actually really struggling right now with coronavirus. Mm. There also was a book that came out right before the election 
that alleged that she lied about her academic record and that she perhaps never graduated from Cairo University. Yeah, I saw that that biography didn't really get a lot of attention in the media, though. There's also not really being a big deal. There's also accusations of media favoritism. Hmm. But, you know, there's politicians that the media really likes. There's a lot of public figures that the media is very hesitant, I think, in any country to, like, bring the dirt out because they're friends. Or, you know, it's all that crony system. Japan's got that same stuff that we got here. It's politics. Where they like her and they get favors from her, so maybe they don't publish stuff like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. The impression I got is that she won because she was kind of the only realistic, like, safe option. She was just kind of the default person everybody voted for, even though there weren't really that many that were super enthusiastic about voting for her, you know? Yeah, it could be. I mean, we're a little bit unprecedented with the coronavirus situation, but it's like in times of war, you're very unlikely to vote out a sitting government because like things are tough. It's too much uncertainty. That might have played a role to like this emergency situation. Like, oh, they're already been working on it. Let's just stick with these guys because we don't know what we're going to get from anybody else. Right. People don't want to vote for radical change when something big like that is going on. Yeah. I even saw between March and May, due to her handling of the pandemic, her support rate rose 20 points up to 70%. Yeah. The public has liked what she's done. Yeah. Did you see her slogans? Mm, I don't have them written down here. What do you got? Building Tokyo's future along with Tokyo residents. It's kind of interesting. Also, Tokyo Great Reform 2.0. Sounds like generic politician stuff to me. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard she like does really well with like older people that still watch nightly news. And she doesn't do well with like younger people that are on the internet. And those slogans kind of make me believe that. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. So some of her platform, I guess you could say, is a successful hosting of the Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics. She's committed to making the Olympics happen, even though it got delayed a year. She wants to go paperless and faxless in Tokyo. I think a lot of people can get behind that. Yeah, quite a few candidates talked about this. And honkoless. Honko are the stamps that Japanese people have. That's like their seal that they use on official documents. Yeah, it's like instead of signing, you just have this little personal stamp that you carry with you that you can stamp on official stuff. And there seem to be a lot of politicians trying to get rid of that. I don't know if maybe it's to make it easier to do stuff digitally because you can't stamp a digital document. She also wants to go cashless and touchless. And then she's got the platitudes. I support working women and paternity leave and stuff like that, which is good if you actually back it up. A lot of politicians like to say things like that. I support equality and I support working people. And it's like, what are you actually going to do? So who's next? Second place was Kenji Utsunomiya. He got 13.76% of the votes. So I kind of made up nicknames for these people. And for <laughs> okay. me, this is the boring old guy. Sure. I think that's, that sounds fairly accurate. He is a 73-year-old lawyer, former head of the Japan Federation of Bar Associations. And this was his third time running for governor of Tokyo. 
As a lawyer, he worked on a lot of high-profile cases, actually, including the 1995 Tokyo subway sarin attacks. That's interesting. That's uh, quite the historical footnote there. Yeah, that's that at least gives him some name recognition right there. Yeah. I think. He was running independently, but supported by the Constitutional Democratic Party and two other opposition parties. So he was pretty much like the choice of the opposition. Yeah. Like, this is the guy you should all vote for to get rid of the incumbent. Yeah, I think everybody pretty much knew that Yuriko was getting first, this guy was getting second. Yeah. He wants to build a city where every resident can live with hope. Mm-hmm. He pledged to increase coronavirus testing, give financial support to medical institutions and affected businesses. And he criticized the government's virus response, saying that it was delayed because they didn't want to postpone the Olympics, which seems like valid criticism to me. Yeah, that uh, might have happened. Yeah, and he and several other candidates supported postponing the Olympics. Yeah, he supports cancellation of the Olympics if experts judge that it isn't safe to host the games, mm-hmm. which sounds like a very reasonable position. Yep. But then you got to find out who those experts are and who you're going to listen to, but well, that sounds good. So he had some other pledges that I thought seemed pretty decent. He wanted to give free school meals to children. I can get behind that. That's great. He wanted to abandon all plans for legalization of casinos. Lame. I mean, I'm not a gambler, and I think gambling is really awful sometimes, but it's like one of those things. You prohibit something, it doesn't go away, it doesn't make it better, it just makes it in the realm of criminals rather than in the realm of regulation. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a strong opinion on this one, but yeah, I I agree with you, Paul, that prohibiting things that you know are going to happen anyway just makes them more dangerous when they end up happening anyway. Yeah, and of all the things that government could waste its time and energy on... Like, do something that helps people rather than trying to be the morality police, in my opinion. Uh, He also wanted to cut tuition to all Tokyo public universities by half, and ultimately his aim was to go for tuition-free education. That's fantastic. I absolutely agree with you, Paul. I'd say go all the way, all the way. Incrementalist politicians, that's how they are. I... I get it. They live in reality where I live in the fantasy land in my head where I can do whatever I want. I wasn't sure how much we were going to share our own political views in this episode. I think it's going to happen. It's hard to avoid, I'm going to comment on all of these people. Okay. <laughs> oh, I like this one. He wanted to increase full-time employment and decrease part-time. Yeah, that's a big problem in, in Tokyo and Japan. It is in the United States, too. Definitely. All these people working three part-time jobs... I, w- I kind of want to know how he plans to do that, but I couldn't mm-hmm. really find any info on that in English. I doubt that he said much about right, specifics right. on his that's plan. A, that's politician talk. Right. You know. He supported expansion of the same-sex partnership agreement, which is at least a step in the right direction. Yeah. From what I heard about that agreement, basically gay marriage isn't legal in Japan, but you can get a same-sex partnership like certificate, which is functionally similar to being married. Yeah, that's how I remember it. That happened a few years back or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Just support gay marriage, man. Come on. Yeah. Go all the way. Yeah, I mean, you got to pay attention to what the public is willing you know, to go for, yeah. too, you know? Incrementalist politicians, that's how they roll. Yeah. That's about all I had on him. Mm-hmm. Last thing I have is just, I saw him described as anti-poverty. <laughs> I mean, okay. Hopefully that means anti-poor people. 
Yeah. I think it meant more like, you know, he, he just wants to help the common man help out people that aren't doing so well. So he's a communist is what you're telling me. If you want to, <laughs> you want to be one of those people, I guess. No, he's clearly, he's clearly not a communist. Yeah. Who you got next? Next one. I like this guy. Taro Yamamoto. I like this guy too. He's 45. He is a former actor and leader of the anti-establishment party Reiwa Shinsengumi, which he founded in 2019. So I did a bunch of research about this guy and I knew he was an actor. And then at the very end, I found out he starred in Battle Royale. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Once I found that out, I was like, I love that book. I love the movie. He played a really like badass character in that movie. I was like, I know this guy. Yeah. When I saw that, I had to look up pictures of him and like, you know, figure out who he was. It's been a long time since I saw the movie. Right, right. Like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uh, became a politician after the 2011 Fukushima nuclear crisis. Yeah, he seems to care a lot about that. He's been a vocal anti-nuclear activist in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he came in third with 10.72% of the vote, which makes him the last person we're going to talk about that got his 3 million yen deposit back. Yeah. And uh, I saw that he was known as Japan's Bernie Sanders. Oh, See interesting. That? I didn't. No. I saw a couple different places call him that. Okay. And yeah, he seems passionate about nuclear stuff. And I actually saw that in the same year he was first elected to the House of Counselors in 2013, he made some waves because he went to a non-political garden party that the emperor was also at, and he handed the emperor a political letter about the nuclear disaster at Fukushima. Yeah, that's a very, like, no-go, yeah, don't do that right. type thing. A lot of people criticized him for trying to exploit the emperor. Who, see, okay, remember earlier I mentioned I thought that the emperor was, wasn't allowed to get in politics? Because that's part of what people were saying about him is that, you know, he was trying to exploit the emperor who's not supposed to be involved in politics. And they were kind of making fun of this guy for not understanding that the emperor is not supposed to be involved. In I politics. think he understood. But, you know, who knows? Uh, I thought a really interesting note is his party made history when they recently secured two seats in the upper house election and both candidates were disabled people. And they were the first disabled people elected to uh, the upper house in Japan. That's cool. Yeah, a big part of him and his party's platform is support for disabled people. And they really put their money where their mouth is on that one, running nice. those candidates and winning. Yeah. So that's really cool. That is cool. And his hobby is surfing. Just a cool guy, former actor. He goes out surfing. Yeah. <laughs> so he, as for the Olympics... Point. He wanted to cancel the Olympics. Yep. And he wanted to give 100,000 yen to all Tokyo residents. He is Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah. That's because a, of the coronavirus pandemic. He wasn't just trying to give money away. It was right, like right. support to like get through these tough months. Yeah, it was a relief measure. But that's what, like uh, $10,000? $1,000. $1,000, 1, yeah. Okay. That's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he also said he wanted to provide secure jobs to the, the, quote, lost generation, which refers to people who graduated during and after the mid-90s, because that was when Japan's economic bubble burst, and people getting into their adult lives at that point were having a rough time. I can imagine how that goes. 
Yep. We're, <laughs> we're kind of in the same situation. So, yeah, a little bit similar there. He also wanted to support same-sex partnerships and ultimately legalize same-sex marriage in Japan. So there you go. You know, at least he has a goal for the end game. Yeah, he's clearly saying, that's where I want to be. Yeah. But he understands I'm probably not going to get there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to provide more services to support foreigners living in Tokyo, which is, uh, I don't know, it stands out given how conservative Japan is still. Yeah, he wanted to make it more stress-free for foreigners to consult with authorities. Like mm -hmm. I, in Japan, it can be kind of hard, I think, as a foreigner to like go to the police or go to the government for certain things because, oh, you're not Japanese or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But he wants to make it a more welcoming, friendly place. That's great. Yep. Maybe I'm biased because I'm a foreigner, though I don't live in Japan, so I'm not that biased. Uh, yeah. So he's a cool guy. Seems like it. Trying to help you. He seems like he's seriously trying to just help people. Yeah. As far as I could understand. Yep. So who you got next? Fourth place with 9.99% of the vote. Oh, that must have hurt. Being just below the threshold to get that 3 million yen back. <laughs> yeah. But this is Taisuke Ono. He was the youngest vice governor in Japan when he took office in Kumamoto Prefecture in 2012 at age 38. My nickname for this guy isn't even a nickname. I just thought, why is this guy even running? I can't figure out why this guy's even running. Like, he doesn't seem to stand for anything. He's just kind of generic. He's just criticizes saying the coronavirus response was awful. And his one thing is like, we need to open Tokyo back up quicker. And that's like all I got. He doesn't seem to like have a lot of positions about anything. Yeah, I don't have a ton of notes about him. It didn't seem like there was much that notable about him. His slogan is open up Tokyo. Yep. He pledged a quick recovery of the economy after the coronavirus. His one interesting thing that I found he was running on was to unite all private and public subway companies and provide a more efficient underground transportation system in the capital. Yeah, and I, I mean, that sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a good idea, but is he going to privatize all of them, or is he going to make them all public? I mean, there, there's different ways you could do that, and that would make a huge difference on how much I think it maybe would be good or not. Yeah, that is a good question. It's maybe easier to say than actually do. Yeah, like it's the kind of thing where citizens might think, oh, that sounds great. Like it'd make it much easier for me to get to work in the morning, you know, not having to switch between all these subway lines. But yeah, people might not think about how are we going to get there? What does that really mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting idea mm -hmm. and a good thought, I guess. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that he, he also, he was another one that supported expansion of the same-sex partnership agreement. Okay. And, you know, it's, it seems like most of the popular candidates support that, which I think is good. You know, the, the LGBT community still has a long way to go in Japan, but it seems like they've been gaining more and more attention and support in recent years. So. They certainly have. They've come a long way in like the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, we'll get into some people that think otherwise shortly here, I think. We're starting to get close to the, well, I think the very next person on my list is... Uh, we're starting to get to the real characters out there, right? Yeah. So who do you have next? My next one, 
is Makoto Sakurai. Okay. My nickname for this guy is the scary one. This guy scares me. Okay. The first thing I have in my notes for him is unabashed racist. (laughs) (laughs) So he, did I say he came in fifth? He had 2.92% of the votes. Yeah. Which is... I mean, that's not a lot, but it's kind of alarming that it's that a, many people... It's alarming them. once you realize what this guy's all about. Yeah. So, like I said, racist. He openly advocated for the expulsion of Koreans and other non-Japanese people from the country. Yep, he's the founder of the anti-foreign activist group, Zaito Kukai. His slogan is Strong Japan, which is also scary once you know his views. Yeah. Like, sounds very authoritarian. Yeah. Some of his signature pledges, no monthly compensation for the Tokyo governor, which mm-hmm. kind of is like, okay, cool, but it's kind of like, well, what if like a normal person ran for governor? They probably would need some sort of, maybe you should just pay them like a reasonable salary rather yeah. than none at all. Yeah. I don't know what they currently make. He wants to lower certain taxes. Yeah. So I saw he advocated for abolishing the consumption tax, which is kind of a lot of different taxes, including like sales tax stuff. But the funny thing is the Tokyo governor has no authority over that anyway. Right. So did he just not know that? Or I don't know. He just, it's what he cares about. So yeah. he's going to talk about it. You yeah. know, he couldn't do anything about it. Uh, he supports the removal of all welfare support for foreign residents. Ooh. That's a issue that gets a lot of talking about in America as well. Yeah. Even though it's less of an issue, I think, than people think it is. In Japan or America? Both. Like in, yeah. in Japan, what are foreigners 1% or less of the population? Like how yeah. many of them could be like sucking their welfare dry? Yeah. It just doesn't seem possible numbers wise. I agree. It seems like the kind of issue that certain politicians like to use to get people all riled up. But if you really look at the statistics and like how much money is going towards that, it's like negligible. It's what we call a dog whistle. I'm a racist, but I'm not going to say an openly racist thing. I'm going to say a thing that lets you all know that I'm racist without using a slur. I don't know. He's, he didn't seem to be trying to hide it very yeah, much. Not in some, yeah, not in some uh, situations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this guy. That's, I mean, that's about all I had on him. Me too. He scared me. Yeah. So sixth place with 0.72% of the votes. We're already down there, like less than 1% of the votes for the rest of the people. Uh, but this guy is Takashi Tachibana. The conspiracy maniac. That's a good nickname. He might have some good points, but he's also a maniac. Yeah. And this guy's scary too. Yeah. So he leads a single issue party that he founded that vows to crush NHK, Japan's public broadcaster. Yep. So just to give a little background on NHK, everyone in Japan that has a TV has to pay a license fee that goes to the NHK so that they can pay to broadcast all this stuff to the entire country. And his party wants to abolish that. They say that only people who watch the network should have to pay, which I don't know. That actually isn't super unreasonable. I get why they do it the way they do it though. Like we have national public radio and stuff here Mm -hmm. and that comes from the government or a lot of their funding does. Not everyone listens to it though. But it really is a useful thing to have in your society, yeah. even if every single person doesn't listen to it. Mm-hmm. So I can see the argument going both ways on that. Sure. It sounds reasonable when he says it like that, though. Yeah, but the funny part 
is that he used to work for the NHK. Yes. He was a project producer and an executive assistant to the chairman of the NHK from 1997 to 2005. Yeah. And he leaked information about the NHK's accounting scandals to a Japanese tabloid, which led to him retiring from the NHK. So he's actually a legit whistleblower who called out real wrongdoing in the company and got blackballed for it. But now he's just got a personal vendetta. (laughs) He certainly does. But the NHK does seem kind of like shady in a lot of ways too. They're a little bit like maybe too much a tool of the government. They're also seemingly corrupt in some ways as well. But uh, here's where he gets crazy though. In 2009, he suggested genocide as a means of population control and maintaining global peace. Yeah. Do you have the quote? Yes. (laughs) He's quoted as saying, let's just say that we should practice genocide against a race that reproduces like an idiot. And people who are reasonably intelligent should be allowed to live while the rest should be slaughtered. I don't think I'm with you there, buddy. (laughs) Definitely not. And it's like, you're so wrong. Like, there's no group of people that's dumber than other groups of people. All groups of people are dumb, in my opinion. (laughs) We're really hearing Paul's opinions on this episode. Yeah, they're coming out. (laughs) But like, wow, okay. So you're going to slaughter people, and then you're going to be the judge of who's smart or not. What if you're actually dumb, but you think you're smart? You know, like, it's pretty awful and arrogant thing to say. Yep. He also publicly acknowledges that he's bipolar. Yeah, I saw he suffers from bipolar and schizophrenia, at least in one article. I didn't see the schizophrenia, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, either way, uh, that kind of makes the, the whole thing a little sad, you know? It's probably not good for your mental health to become a whistleblower and then get blackballed from your company and all that stuff. I'm sure. So another really interesting note is that in April, he was indicted for illegally disrupting the NHK's business because he shared personal information about some subscribers online, apparently. Mm -hmm. He's also accused of intimidating a member of the local assembly in Tokyo. Yeah. And his trial is yet to begin. So are they coming at him for being a whistleblower? But he also seems legit crazy, so maybe he really did do bad things. I don't know. But what an interesting guy, right? Quite a character. Uh, his slogan was smash the Corona induced self-isolation and self-restraint. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Is he an anti-masker? I don't know. I mean, that (laughs) sounds like it, but I didn't see anything else specific about that. Uh, I do have some other signature pledges though, that I thought were interesting. Oh, he's got some interesting ones. He's got ideas. (laughs) He does. He does. So he said he wanted to reduce traffic to zero. Yeah. What does that mean? How? That means... uh, No cars on the roads? Yeah. More trains, less cars, maybe? I don't know. I I liked this other part, though. Maybe these probably go together. He said he wanted to introduce a no-ticket, no-ticket barrier transportation system. Yep. So nobody needs tickets, and they're not going to have those gates that you have to pass through to get to the train. Anybody can just get on, get off a train, go wherever. You know what I just realized, though? What? It's kind of funny that when he's talking about the NHK, 
you should only pay if you watch it. But then he's talking about the trains. Oh, we're just going to pay for it out of everybody's taxes. It is and then if you want to use it, use it. If you, like, It's not uh, good reasoning there. Yeah. Or not consistent reasoning, I right. should say. Right. Another thing that I saw, couldn't figure out exactly what he meant by this, but it sounds cool. He wanted to build VR live infrastructure. Yeah, now, I saw that too. I'm wondering if he's talking about augmented reality sort of thing where, you know, they can project 3D images onto the world around you. Yeah. I, that must be what he's talking about, right? Yeah, I don't know. I just imagined like, put on my VR set, I'm in the office now, but I don't actually have to go to work or I don't know. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I wasn't sure what he meant by that. Sounds cool, right? It does, it does. <laughs> he also wanted to hold the Olympics remotely. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. That's kind of a funny mental image for me. No offense to anyone, but I feel like the Russians would probably cheat. <laughs> no, this is 100 meters, I swear. <laughs> I don't know. He wants to abandon paper textbooks. Sure. Good. As long as they don't charge you 150 bucks for the digital one like they yeah. do for the paper one. Yeah. He wants English as an official language. Yeah, I thought that it's hard to get details on these, but is he saying like we want Japanese and English to be official languages of Japan? That would be my guess. It's got to be, right? Right. You can't be trying to get rid of the Japanese language. Well, this guy, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) He's in favor of promoting Tokyo as a diverse city, whatever that means, right? Yeah. But he's strongly against an increase of foreign labor in Japan. So those two seem contradictory. Yeah. I don't want foreigners here, but I want to pretend like we're very diverse. It does seem contradictory. (laughs) His craziest idea, though, is that he wanted to legalize marijuana. In Japan, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. That's I'm for legalizing marijuana, for the record. Absolutely. I just thought that was interesting that I saw that. Just like with casinos. Let's not waste our time policing morality, people. Yeah, like some of the stuff he says, you know, just to give a little background, Japan is very hard on drugs. Oh, don't bring drugs to Japan. Just don't. Don't do it. Yeah, so it's kind of surprising that anyone would even mention legalizing any kind of drug in Japan. Like sometimes it makes me wonder if this guy actually cared about getting votes or not. How would it benefit him to say that, you know? Well, when you're tracking to get 0% of the vote, even just getting the stoner vote would help you. And I guess, I mean, if you don't have any hope, you may as well just get all your ideas out there, right? I bet at least like 5% of the people in Tokyo enjoy smoking weed. Probably. Pull that number out of my butt, but that's my guess. <laughs> yeah. Still wouldn't make me vote for a crazy genocide guy like this, but... yeah. Even with only 0.72% of the vote, isn't that a little worrying that he can say that he supports genocide and that many people still voted for him? Yeah. Like that's not an insignificant number of I people. I mean, you know? if you consider Japanese history too, it's kind of like, ugh. Yeah. Anyway, interesting guy. Moving on. Okay, this next guy is my favorite candidate because he is absolutely ridiculous and he knows it and he means to be it's just it's great Teruki Goto is his name he got only 0.36 percent of the votes but he definitely got a lot of attention because of his ridiculousness yeah 
He's a musician, apparently, though I couldn't find any of his music. All I could find was his ridiculous antics. Yeah. Because those are so popular. Yeah. He's known for his extreme nationalist conservative views. Yeah. So he belongs to the transhumanist party that he created. This is his second time running for governor of Tokyo. And I actually heard that in reality, he's a really serious person, believe it or not. Really? But he acts completely crazy to get attention. Yeah. He is very well known for needing to be censored on TV Mm -hmm. because he uses a lot of words that describe various reproductive organs. (laughs) Yeah. Last time he ran in 2016, over 10% of his speeches on TV had to be censored for language. Yep. And this year, you could probably say he went even further. Yeah. He caused a big stir because in his election video or his message he got to send out on NHK, he appeared wearing a dirty diaper. Mm -hmm. Paul, if you don't mind, I actually kind of wanted to describe his election videos. Dude, did you watch it with subtitles? Yes. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So before we get into this, let me just uh, put out a quick warning here. As we already mentioned, there's going to be a lot of obscene language here. Not safe for work. Put your headphones on. Like, seriously, this is, (laughs) I can't overstate this. I'll I'll give you a second. If you have kids listening, cover their ears, save the podcast for when you're alone or something. That being said, I don't think what he says is like obscene or like awful. It's just like words that we don't say in play company. I'm just going to say the things that he said on TV were things that you would never expect to hear on TV. Right. I don't know. I think we gave everyone enough warning now. Hit us, Jason. Okay, okay. So to start off, both of these videos that I'm going to describe, in both of them, there's like an announcer that's introducing him. And they introduced him as, quote, principal of Teruki school, guru of Teruki religion, charismatic, revolutionary, patriotic, savior, God, pervert. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we got the diaper video, right? Yep. He gets on camera, and he's wearing clothes at first, but he immediately strips them all off to reveal a dirty diaper, and he sings a song called Eat My Shit, Government Authority, where all of the lyrics are basically just that over and over again. It seemed to me like an artistic protest of censorship. Yeah, in you, a way. you could think of this guy as he just does performance art. You could think of it that way. Yeah. So, you know, he's got this diaper. That's all he's wearing. He stands up on the chair and spins around talking about how in 2016 they tried to censor his broadcast after he had saved 10 years for his 3 million yen deposit to enter the race. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the video, he took off his diaper and put it on his head. Yeah. So that's and fun. like there wasn't actually poop in the diaper. Yeah, it's it was just, it was a diaper with like a little brown paint on it to make it look like a poopy diaper. Right, right. And at the end, when he takes the diaper off, he's sitting in the chair behind the desk, so there's like no there's no nudity. nudity. Yeah, yeah. He's shirtless the whole time, mostly. Right. But okay, so that's one of the videos. The other video I saw, he comes in in a suit and he starts yelling like he's super animated, super passionate. And he basically gives a long speech about how 
we don't need nuclear weapons. We need a lot of sex. That's what's going to save the world. So here's a quote. We don't need nuclear weapons. Instead of a weapon that kills people, we need a dick that creates people. Stop holding guns. Let's hold dicks. If you grab a dick, you can grab world peace. He likes talking about genitalia. He really does. Yep. Then he suggests that world leaders, instead of sitting around talking, they should sit in a circle and shake dicks. Because shaking hands is old fashioned. (laughs) He says, no more nuclear deterrent force. We need a dick deterrent force. Instead of launching missiles, we should jerk off because as soon as you climax, you feel listless and don't want to fight anymore. (laughs) He's got a good point. (laughs) If we keep jerking off, war will never happen. This is the safety equipment we were given by God. I saw that there was a proposal, I don't remember, decades ago by a philosopher and he proposed it to his friends in the U.S. government. And he said, if the president ever wants to launch nuclear missiles, he will have to kill somebody with a knife before he can press the button as like a deterrent. So like they don't do it unless they're 100% serious. Where did you say you heard that? I read Some it. I read it or, or something. something. Yeah. I feel like I heard something like that too, where there was this idea that like the key to launch the a nuclear missile would be inside a, a human person. Yeah, you'd so, like cut them open to pull it out. Yeah. And his friends in the government were like, well, that's awful. He might not want to launch the nukes then. And the <laughs> yeah. guy was like, well, that's, that's the point, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Teruki Goto says he wants a new world government based on promoting ejaculation. Maybe that should be the president's got to rub one out and then see if he still wants to launch. Perhaps. Oh, God. I, I guess I, you would get along with him, Paul. I hope my parents don't listen to this episode. <laughs> and, I mean, that's not the end. He just goes on and on with this idea. He talks about how masturbation can get rid of anxiety, stress, bullying. <laughs> he talks Bullying? Of, yeah. <laughs> hey, nobody wants to bully if they're so relaxed from Are bullies just sexually repressed people? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, he talks about how much he respects porn actors because they give us peace. He says, the meaning of all of our lives is to come. (laughs) Um, Okay. I don't know. I I almost don't even want to keep reading this, but he says, we don't need countermeasures for the falling birth rate. We just need to come inside each other. If you want to have a baby, let me know and I'll provide you with my amazing, strong, and ultimate sperm. (laughs) So, interesting dude, to say the least. Uh, If you want to see the videos, I mean... They're, they're easy should. to find. Yeah, go on YouTube. You'll find them. Teruki the, Goto. Yeah. Yeah, I'd recommend watching them. Educational. His slogan is, I'll make Tokyo the world's leading IT and AI city. Which, you know, it's weird. I thought he'd talk about sex or something in his slogan, but, yeah. you know, whatever. He also said he wants to make Japan the strongest, kindest, and most interesting country in the world. Yeah. I think he's doing a good job of getting to... Interesting. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of some of his platform is interesting. Yeah, he wants to legalize physician-assisted suicide and the right to choose death. I'm a hundred percent behind that. Ditto. the dignity to choose your own death when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. I think that's should be very important to all humans. I agree. He wants the legalization of polygamy, which is 
maybe more along the lines. It's like, is he trying to be governor, start a sex cult? I'm not always <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, the introduction of I love you as a popular greeting. I'm totally behind that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> so, so some of his stuff was a little similar to other other people. He wanted uh, a cashless system. Well, there was another candidate you said that supported that, right? A couple others, at least. He wanted to enforce a paperless, honkoless society. Yep. He, he promotes gender equality. Yep. I don't know. Those are kind of the only normal ones I saw. He also wants everyone to be microchipped. He wants to make Taiwan a Japanese territory. That's why people call him like a nationalist, yeah. like a right-wing nationalist. And how do you do that? He says it like that, but that means go to war. Yeah. Taiwan's not going to be like, oh yeah, we'll become your territory. Yeah. That means going to war with Taiwan, and that means going to war probably with China, too. And you're running for Tokyo governor. How are you going to take over a territory? Yeah. I don't know how his whole masturbation idea works into that plan. Yeah, that's that one's just crazy. That one I don't like at all. <laughs> um, he is for basic income for all. I thought that was interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. That's the future right there. He wants an increase in foreign tourists. Yeah, but at the same time, he wants to limit entrance of foreigners into Tokyo to 50,000 from each country at any one time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he meant permanent residents or if he meant tourists, because then that's kind of contradictory. I, I don't know. My notes say limit entrance of foreign citizens to Tokyo, 50,000 per country. I think he meant citizens of Tokyo that are from foreign countries. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure on the wording of that. Yeah, could go either know. way. Yeah. Um, and he wants to prohibit welfare for foreigners, another one of yeah, those guys. Yeah. And he wants to introduce a more complex system to obtain permanent residentship for yeah. foreign residents. These right-wing guys, they want the tourists' money, but they don't want them living there. Yeah. You can come in, spend money, and then leave. <laughs> he also wants to introduce patriotism studies at school. That sounds dangerous to me. Yeah. So yeah, that guy. <laughs> yep, that's Teruki Goto. The poop diaper guy. He's always going to be known as the poopy diaper guy. Yeah. You know, I saw in his 2016 election, he actually had campaign posters where he's naked. Like he's got one fist in the air and he's just standing there totally naked. Yeah. And then he's got like words across his... Uh, his uh, mid midsection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that too. Give me more. Candidates? More people, yeah. I got a couple more interesting ones. So I got one more that I've got notes on. What's the, what's the name? Uh, Makoto Nishimoto. Okay, yeah. So he got 0.19% of the votes. This guy's the rapper. Right. He's 33 years old, a former gang member, and a current rapper. And he goes by the nickname Super Crazy Coon. Yep. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't have a great time growing up. He was what they might call a delinquent in Japan. His father was divorced five times, apparently. Five times while he was a kid still. Sounds like, like a rough childhood. Wow. His slogan was pretty simple. <laughs> Me or the current governor? Yep. yep. He's got over 23,000 Instagram followers. Wow. I listened to this guy's music. Oh, really? How, yeah. Did you like it? It's not bad. I don't know if I'd say it's good either. Hmm. Like, it's it's not bad. Yeah. Not really my thing. But I can see why people like him. Okay. You know, 
so it seemed like he was kind of attention seeking, you know, he, he's, I mean, calling yourself super crazy coon is kind of a wacky thing, I guess. But yeah, for the most part, it seemed like he was actually a pretty serious guy. Like he had serious proposals and stuff. He wasn't making a total joke of his campaign, you know? He does. He's putting forth proposals that no other candidate's talking about, mm-hmm. you know, trying to put some issues on the map. So let's get a little bit into Japanese law just briefly here, because I thought this was really interesting. Okay. He is arguing for the relaxation of a law called the Amusement Business Law on Control. So basically what this law says is that any business offering food and entertainment is required to be authorized by a prefecture's public safety commission. And any business in the sex industry or any business selling alcohol after midnight uh, needs to notify the government that they exist and what they're doing. This is also the law that forbids dance in nightclubs with less than 66 square meters. I forgot about that. And prohibits dance in nightclubs after 1 a.m. They didn't already get rid of that part? Well, they apparently got rid of it because the Olympics are coming up, but I was a little vague on if they're just relaxing it or if they totally Mm. got rid of that part. I don't know. But it seems like recently you can dance later now. I just remember reading something like in the last year maybe about that specific law. Yeah. And I thought they had like relaxed that or gotten rid of it or something. Yeah, I think it was because the Olympics were coming up and they didn't want to seem like a stuffy, no fun place with all those people in town. Hmm. But before that, all these nightclubs had no dancing signs and security would come around and be like, you need to stop dancing. Like, that sounds so lame. (laughs) Yeah, that is weird. But yeah, he's just basically like fighting for these businesses that are like pushed aside as like not as legitimate or not doing something as important or whatever. But a lot of people work at these places. A lot of people earn their living or have fun at these places. And he grew up performing in these places like so he's got that view of like this is important part of society and Mm -hmm. i want it to be represented in politics yeah he also promoted a 24-hour operation of entertainment facilities restaurants and pubs yeah it was just cool i like 24-hour places (laughs) i I like being up at night i think it's cool when things are open yeah but there's the good and the bad to that Mm -hmm. um so yeah he had a couple pledges that were a lot like Yuriko Koike's pledges. He also said that he wanted zero children on waiting lists for daycare, zero animal slaughter at public shelters. He wanted to introduce a license system when buying pets. Yep. And he said he would increase young people's interest and involvement in politics. And I think he succeeded there. I mean, he's a moderately popular rapper and a young person himself. And. Mm I think he got some people interested. In Japan, it seems like a lot of people are just not interested in politics. Totally. The like impression I get is, yeah, young people in Japan do not care about politics yeah. at all. So he was really trying to get them involved. So good for him. Yeah. That's probably a big part of why he ran. And mm-hmm. I think in that way, he succeeded, even though he didn't get many votes. Yeah. He was like an interesting guy. Yeah. He was one of my favorite candidates. I might have voted for him. So that that was all your candidates, right? Those are all the ones I took notes on. I was like, those are the ones that caught my eye. I got one more. 
I'm a little surprised this wasn't in your notes because this guy seemed pretty notable. So this guy had 0.15% of the vote. His name is Masayuki Hiratsuka. And he campaigned under the slogan, Corona is just a cold. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Believe it or not, there are anti-maskers, even in Japan, where masks have been like a normal measure against sickness, even, I mean, for, for, a, long for time. a very long time. Yeah. So, yeah, this guy and his followers held an anti-mask protest in front of Shibuya Station in August, and then he urged his followers to get in the Yamanote line, which is a, a very... Busy. Yeah, busy line in Tokyo. He wanted to go confront other passengers and make them feel stupid for wearing masks. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Only about a dozen people actually followed him onto the train, but holy crap, like I can't believe... <laughs> I don't know, that this guy ran and that people actually voted for him at all. I mean, I deal with people like him every day, bro. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I mean, I read all this stuff about anti-maskers and stuff, and it just, I don't know. Honestly, the last couple years in the U.S., like, it's hard to not keep being surprised over and over at what kinds of people are out there and how many there apparently are. Yeah, yeah. We had this lady the other day screaming, call the governor. I want to talk to the governor. He needs to prove to me that coronavirus is real. And I'm like, can you just put a mask on, please? <laughs> oh, man. That was... I don't know what to say. Yeah. And it's like you get two or three of them a week. And it's, it's been months now. And people still are like protesting masks. Mm-hmm. In Japan, too. Probably all over the world, there's crazy people, right? Yep. I guess all the candidates. Yeah. Is that the end of the episode? Yeah. You probably all hate me now, now that you know my politics. Yeah. If if one or both of us offended you and you want to yell at us, send an email to feedback (laughs) at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Wouldn't be our first hate mail. Yeah. But, you know, if you can relate and you want to commiserate with us, we'd love to hear from you, too. Yeah, the one thing I'm sure about is that politics sucks everywhere. Studies have shown that powerful people are just awful. Yeah, they're just not the best people (laughs) around. All right, well. It's another long one, but I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking about it. Me, too. This was an interesting one. Thanks again, Melissa, for suggesting this one. Yes, thank you. Everybody check out our Instagram, SJP Podcast. Uh, check out our Facebook, too. We're on facebook.com slash Podcast. Our Instagram is fire, by the way, if you haven't been there. Thanks, Paul. Just saying. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> um, okay, what's coming up next time, Paul? On the next episode, we're going to be talking about Shirakawago. Shirakawago is one of my favorite places on the planet. Like, it's one of those places where you look up pictures and you're like i just can't believe that a place this beautiful exists i want to go there so bad you should yeah once japan starts allowing americans to come again yeah who knows <laughs> how long that'll be but i've been saving my vacation time like i am so ready once you can travel again yeah well shirakago is great i went there in 2016 oh actually it was on a trip that you and i went on together and then after you had to go home i Paul had to go back home and work. Yeah. That was back when I didn't have PTO. 
So I was just not making money the whole time I was on vacation. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Glad those days are behind me. Yeah, me too. I hope we can take some cool trips together. I bet we I bet we will. All right. Well, thanks for listening. See you next time.